isn't $16 and a few hours of your time worth the investment, you tight ass? You know, like, you know, it's 16 bucks. You know what I mean? Like, this, this book right here took me a year of my life, a year of my life to write and to get to market, right? Hi, I'm Rand Fishkin from Oz, and you're listening to my friend Ash Roy from ProductiveInsights.com. Welcome to the Productive Insights Podcast, where you can learn how to systemize, automate, and scale your business via the internet. To access previous episodes and useful productivity tips, go to ProductiveInsights.com. Now, here's your host, Ash Roy. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in. I have an excellent podcast in store for you today with a very flamboyant guest. As always, if you need assistance with any of the concepts discussed in this podcast, head over to ProductiveInsights.com slash hire and book a consulting session with me. That's ProductiveInsights.com forward slash H-I-R-E. Now, I have mentioned a couple of episodes in this podcast. One is episode number one with Neil Patel, and the other is episode number 18 with Buck Rizvi on systems and how to use them to leverage your business. And I will include links to these episodes in the show notes. Don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes and share this with friends if you find the information useful. Thanks so much for listening, and it's great to have you. Hello, everyone. Today's guest is the author of the book, Virtual Freedom. We hung out a bit at Superfast Business Live conference in March 2015. And during his talk at this conference, he owned the stage and he demonstrated true showmanship. He only works an average of six hours a day and his work week no longer includes Friday. He is also the host of the new business podcast. I'm delighted to welcome the smooth-talking, straight-shooting online entrepreneur, the founder of ChrisDucker.com, Mr. Chris Ducker. Welcome, Chris. What's up? Thank you very much. That's a lovely intro. <laughs> I don't want to let you down now. I feel like you've set the bar so high that you know I shouldn't <laughs> be letting you down. I'll do my best not to do that, Ash. <laughs> That's it, man. It was a deserving intro for a true showman. So just blow us away with your razzle-dazzle. I'll do my best. All right. So let's talk about online entrepreneurship, which is one of the main things we want to touch on today. Could you tell us a little bit about your journey and how it ended up with you being a successful online entrepreneur? And can you focus a little bit on how you ended up building a self-sustaining automated business, which has you working only four days a week and six hours a day? Yeah, well, look, I mean, my, my background is very much brick and mortar. You know, I, the only, the only reason, and I'm not joking when I say this, literally, the only reason I would use the internet in any way, shape, or form prior to late 2009 was to check my email, to search for videos on YouTube, and for like, you know, just do normal Googling stuff. Yeah. Uh, I'd never written a blog post. Uh, I'd never used Twitter. In fact, actually, for the first six months of using Twitter, I called it the Twitter. Uh, and that is no BS. I actually called it the Twitter for six months. And so somebody pointed out to me, just look at the URL, man. There's no the in there. <laughs> you know, so um, I'd never recorded a podcast, even listened to a podcast before prior to the beginning of 2010. So very brick and mortar, very old school, very traditional entrepreneur, um, very much kind of stuck in my ways in terms of how I was doing things, how I was marketing my businesses. Obviously, yes, we had websites and things like that, but there, there was no focus in the online business world in any way whatsoever. Um, the business that I was developing and, and building at that time was uh, the Lift to Sell Group, which is my outsourced call center here in the Philippines. At that point, we had about 120 people. 
um, full time. We now have almost 400, which is insane. When I say that, it's insane. You know, that growth is down to the internet. That growth is down to becoming an online entrepreneur five years ago. So we're five, almost six years into that online journey now. Um, and it really comes down to just embracing things. You know, I think for us older guys, you know, I say that like myself, you know, you're still a young. Yeah, I'm 21. How old are you, Chris? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm I'm a little older, um, and and so you know, for us older guys, sometimes it's tough to come to grips with the whole kind of new media approach to doing business, content marketing, and social media, and webinars, and all this other stuff. But once you start embracing it and not pushing it away, amazing things can happen, and that's exactly what happened to us. And here we are now, five and a half years later. There's three businesses connected to that group now, no longer just the one. Uh, so when we call ourselves the Live to Sell group, at first it was to give that impression of being a bigger company like a lot of small businesses do. But now we truly are an actual group of companies, which is great. We're now, like I said, 400, 400 people, um, multi-seven-figure annual revenue. And for me personally, I'm, yeah, I'm in the best position I've ever been in. And it's all down to focusing in on the internet and utilizing it to be able to build no matter what kind of business you have, whether it's an online business or an offline business, you can use it properly. And so, you know, we just focused on building it up and, and creating it, creating our marketing processes in a way where I don't need to be sucked into them every five minutes like a, a lot of small business owners do. Um, and it's great. So it's about working on your business rather than working in your business. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm no longer doing those those 16-hour, you know, seven-day-a-week work weeks anymore. Um, that was the big realization for me. It was, it was clear going into 2010 that my business was running me, not the other way around. Yep. And so we had to make drastic changes to make sure that, you know, I wasn't going to burn out again because I burned out at the end of 2009. Yeah. Um, and it was a horrible, nasty burnout as well. It wasn't, it wasn't, oh, I'll take a week off and I'll be better. No, I'm talking like, Two weeks in the hospital, you know, acute exhaustion, acute depression, Valium to go to sleep. I mean, it was it was a screwed up time in my life. Uh, but now I'm much happier and much much uh, stronger and much richer <laughs> as well. I mean, uh, truth be told, you know, I never thought I'd be in the position where I am right now financially and just with the businesses that I have. I'm very blessed. So the trick is do less, earn more. And focus on stuff that's really going to move your business forward. Build systems rather than trying to do everything yourself. If you're going to do it yep. more than once, build a system for it. Write a procedure for it so that you can hand it over to somebody else. And don't try and be Superman, as you said in, in your talk. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's where we entrepreneurs really struggle is that we, we, we adorn that cape and think that we're a superhero and that we can do everything. And even if we can't do something... You know, we'll learn how to do it because we don't want to delegate it off to somebody else or we don't have to pay for somebody else to do it or whatever the mindset shift is that we need to make. Yeah. Um, and the moment I started delegating like a madman, that was when my business doors just opened up and they stayed open. And uh, like I said, we're very blessed to be in the position where we are today. And it's down to really embracing the web and, and you know, everything that it brings us small business owners. 
Let's talk a bit about delegating, actually, because delegating can be very scary for a lot of people, including me. Delegating things that have sensitive information, like email or where you've recorded stuff that are intellectual property of your business. How do you work through that process and get to the other side where you're comfortable with delegating? You know, it doesn't matter whether you're delegating to somebody physically in your own office or whether you're delegating to somebody on the other side of the world. It's exactly the same procedures. Training them is just as important. Building relationships with them is just as important, no matter where they are in the world. And, you know, gaining that trust is just as important as well. Uh, people often say that they don't want, they're scared to take the leap to hire people that are virtually based uh -huh. in terms of virtual stuff um, because of all those things. Oh, I can't trust them. Oh, uh, you know, it's all BS. I call a massive amount of BS on it because there's no real difference between hiring people virtually than there is physically. Um, but in terms of overcoming, you know, that kind of, I guess, that confidentiality, uh, you know, issue or, or whatever you want to call it, you know, ultimately, you're just going to have to suck it up and get over yourself. You know, that's that's hardcore business yeah. advice right there. Just get over yourself because what you've got to understand is if you've done everything you can do in the hiring process to make sure that you've got somebody solid on your team, then the chances of them screwing you over is pretty slim anyway. So it goes all the way back to really the hiring procedure and making sure you're asking the right questions and that you're spending enough time with them when you're onboarding them and not just throwing them in the deep end to see whether they're going to sink or swim, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but, you know, stuff like email, I mean, you, you bring that up, you know, that right there is the bane of every modern day's entrepreneur's life. Yeah, yeah. And it's getting better. It is getting better with, you know, with, with software such as Slack um, mm -hmm. and Skype and things like that. A lot of our back and forth via email is getting cut down now yeah. or, or it can get cut down if you embrace those, those you know, different pieces of software. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, it really does come down to ultimately deciding that you're going to get somebody in your inbox for the first hour of each day, letting them clear out on the junk, letting them fire off replies that they can reply to with quick, easy replies or maybe canned responses like my VA does. Um, and then, you know, working on the 20% of the email that you should be working on, yeah. which is more focused around bringing in new business or building new relationships or whatever the case may be. Uh, but I, I tell you what, one of the best things I ever did, which was about three and a half, maybe four years ago now, was hire somebody exclusively to handle my email for me. Right. Now, at the time, I was only getting 100 emails a day, and that was still too much for me to bear on my own. Now, I'm up to almost 200 a day on average, including wow. weekends. So one of my VAs, Michelle, she goes in, that's her first role every day, is she goes in and she clears out my inbox by 10 a.m. my time. So I don't touch my email at all until 10 a.m. Uh -huh. And then when I get in there, uh, I'll realize that, you know, a good 70, 80 percent of it would have been cleared out and replied to and all the rest of it. And I take literally I manage my email in two bursts each day, one in the morning and one as I'm wrapping up my business day. And I usually spend about half an hour in each of those two sessions. So I'm basically managing my email at, a, at an hour a day and it's working. And if I can do it, anybody can do it. Trust me. OK, let me ask you one question that I've heard from a lot of people and even some clients of mine that have this objection about outsourcing to people overseas. And that is, if you outsource email management to someone locally, there is some recourse if things go wrong. And I understand mm -hmm. you can mitigate a lot of these issues through the selection process, which is a great point. When you hire someone, you make sure that you hire someone who's solid. 
But how do you deal with the fear of someone having access to your information in another country where you may not have access to recourse? It's a good question. And I mean, you know, ultimately, this is one of the things that you need to consider. Uh, understanding, obviously, if somebody is on the other side of the world, maybe they can't, ma- you know, maybe maybe because of the, the lack of recourse or the lack of pullback in whatever way, um, you, you can't have them or you don't want them in your email. You, you know, your email is just one part of your working day. If you have to keep hold of that, then get rid of other things, yeah. you know, that maybe are a little easier for you to get, you know, to arm off. Now, obviously, I'm in a unique situation because I'm based in the Philippines and Michelle is also in the Philippines as well. Yes. But, you know, but that being said, that being said, even if I was based over in the UK or Australia or US or anywhere else for that matter, knowing her the way I do, uh, and working with her for as long as I have. She's been with me four years now. Uh, but understand that she got into my inbox six months after me hiring her. Right. So that, you know, there wasn't that much, you know, time and trust built up. But I, I trusted her enough to know that she was a good cookie and that she would, you know, not screw me over. And we had a good working relationship with each other. You see, that's where so many people go wrong, Ash, when it comes to delegating, particularly with virtual stuff, because they're at that arm's length. They don't, spend the time needed to build real relationships yes. with the VAs. You know, there's no water cooler in the virtual hiring world. Yes. You know what I mean? So, you know, just spend time with them. They're people. Talk to them on a Monday morning. Ask them what they did with their family on the yes. weekend. Have a, you know, shoot, shoot the shit a little bit with them yeah. and, and, and build up a real relationship with them. And that's what I do with all of my staff. Now, obviously, it's a little harder nowadays with 400 people. But, you know, the people that I work with day to day, my management team, I know all of them by their name. I know all of their, fa- you know, their husbands or their wives' names. Sometimes, in some cases, their children's names. I'm the godfather of like six children that have been born out within my company, you know. And so, yeah, Christmas is expensive now. <laughs> <laughs> but you're building yeah. a certain culture, right, Chris? And that's the point. The culture of the organization reflects the personality of the CEO. And it, right. it really filters down through your management team. So if you, aren't a bully and if you are a decent collaborative employer then chances are they're going to be decent and collaborative with their staff and it's going to flow through the organization exactly now culture for for me and for for us as a business is without a doubt the most important thing that we focus in on um you know a lot of people when it comes to business you ask a lot of business people you know what what are your priorities and they'll say well number one i want to find as much new business as i can number two you know, I'm going to take care of my existing customers, make sure that they're okay. And then number three, I'll take care of my team and make sure that my staff are all right. And I, I call BS on that. I flip that right on its head exactly. and, and wrench it in and out and all the rest of it. Yeah. Take care of your team first. Yeah. Then you take care of your existing customers and then you go after new business. It should be in that order. Absolutely. And so, yeah, team for me, you know, we call ourselves the live to sell family. Mm. And that's a big big importance for us as a company we are a family um and we're a big family now but we're still family when i'm in the office which isn't often i'm only there two or three hours a week but when i am there my door is wide open i I would i would much rather they just take the thing off the damn hinges so i don't even have to push or pull it open you know it is literally open and i have I, anybody can come into my office at any time when I'm there. And so, you know, that, that kind of open door managerial policy and that family environment has definitely allowed us to be able to build up business faster, I believe, and stronger as well. 
Yep. You know, in one of my earlier podcasts, I talked to Buck Rizvi, who we met at the Superfast Business Conference mm-hmm. as well. And he spoke about exactly the same thing. He talked about the importance of culture and building a positive culture in your business. And he's got an excellent eight-figure business. He's really done that with a great amount of success. He really- yeah, he's great. I actually mentioned to him the Sears Roebuck case study that I studied back in my MBA many years ago. It was called the Employee customer profit chain where they did this case study on Sears when Sears was doing a turnaround of their business they were in a lot of trouble and they changed the way they behave with their employees and the theory was a happy employee will make a happy customer and it flows outward from the company but it starts from inside that reinforces what you're saying as well absolutely yeah Okay. Now, another great point you mentioned was canned responses and emails. Neil Patel, who I spoke to in the first episode in this podcast series, spoke about canned responses as well. And just for the listeners, I think a canned response is just having a standard template. When someone asks you a certain question, you might reply with a standard response where you don't have to type out the same thing over and over again. It's a form of systematizing things. And I find text expanders really good for doing that if you have a Mac. I don't know if you've used Text Expander, but it's a fantastic app. You know, the funny thing is, I downloaded that piece of software about a year ago. Yeah. And I tried playing around with it for like half an hour. And then I got distracted by something. It was probably a stupid cat video on YouTube or something. Yeah. And I've, I haven't gone back to it. I haven't gone back to set it up and put everything in and all the rest of it. Man, I'll show you how to use it. It'll save you a stack of time. My issue is not really knowing how to do it. My issue is just doing it. Yeah. And it's I, what I think it is, is that, you know, I saw so many people talking about it that I thought, oh, I should get involved with that. But I actually use Dragon Dictate yep. for, for almost all of my day-to-day work on this computer, on every computer. Yep. And so, you know, I kind of feel like I don't really need the text expander now but maybe i do maybe maybe i'm just procrastinating ash maybe i should, maybe I should kick myself up my butt instead of kicking everybody else up their butts uh, and get it and get it up and running but hey what are you gonna do nobody's perfect no one's perfect exactly okay let's talk about some of the most common challenges you've seen with people trying to cut back on their hours without reducing their output or productivity and most importantly profitability and how they've overcome them. Some things we've already touched on here is about delegating, being smart in the way you select employees, building a good culture in your organization, creating systems and procedures when things are repetitive, canned responses and emails. Any other wins that you've seen people have to cut back their hours and increase their productivity? Well, you know, focus is a funny thing. You know, some people struggle with staying focused uh, for long periods of time. Some people don't. Um, but for me personally, w- what I have done probably for the last couple of years now is focusing on one project at a time from beginning to end. Not like what I used to do before prior to that and what I see a lot of entrepreneurs doing today is that they're working on several different projects all at the same time. And what happens is things just don't get finished quickly. You know, you can start project one in week number one, then project two in week number two, and then project three in week number three. And then week number four, you'll go back to project one again. And, you know, by the time you reach sort of six, seven, eight weeks in, yeah, maybe project one will actually be finished. But the bottom line is that you could probably have completed project one within three weeks and you could be making money right out of the gate by launching that a lot sooner, you know, until 
or, or rather rather than uh, you know trying to juggle too many things at all, at all at all the time. So what I what I'm trying to get across here is I think that to you know boost productivity, period, and profitability as you brought it up. Um, just focus on one thing at a time. You know, that's what I do. And that's what I suggest my, my students, my clients do as well, my coaching clients. I mean, I, I don't see the need to work on so many projects all at the same time anymore myself. So I truly do practice what I preach. And I suggest that other people do, you know, likewise. Um, when you focus on one particular thing at once, you get to your destination a lot faster and you can start, you know, pulling punches and, and, and making actions on it way, way quicker than you would if you were juggling lots of different things. So I think that right there is productivity number one. Just work on one thing at a time. We cannot multitask. I totally that agree. That is a myth. That is a myth. That yeah. doesn't, we, we're not equipped as human beings to yes. be able to do a whole lot of stuff at the same time. So, you know, just focus on one thing until you're finished and then move on to the next one. Amy Porterfield talked to her mentor in one of her episodes, I think it was episode 37 or something, which I found very, very useful. And he talks about contact switching. He talks about exactly what you're saying, except he speaks about it more in a day-to-day task context as opposed to an overall project context. And he says that there are studies that have been done where about 20% of your productivity is lost when you switch contexts. And each time you do a context switch, I think it's something like that, you lose you know, 20% productivity. So I completely agree with that principle. But here's a question for you. If you're a starting entrepreneur and you are focusing on one project at a time, you still have a whole lot of other things in motion in your business. You still have to do the marketing. You still have to do the client acquisition, all that sort of stuff. What I think you're saying is make one project your main focus but, you know, obviously you still need to keep all the plates spinning. Absolutely. Your day-to-day activities need to continue. Um, and that's, that's, you know, that's another reason why you only work on one new thing mm. at a time because there's other things you need to be doing yourself, uh, you know. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, learning how to prioritize the work that you need to do day-to-day is not something that happens overnight. You know, learning how to put processes and systems and build out, you know, delegation blueprints and all that sort of stuff uh, on, a, on a regular basis is, is not something that will happen in your first week of being an entrepreneur. You know, the stuff will, will come and go for a while until you get into a stride and into a bit of a groove with it. Um, but for me personally, I have found that particularly with ideas, you know, I mean, we're, we're strange beings. We have an idea every minute, right? (laughs) So, you know, I have found that, you know, when I get an idea, I will write it down. You can see, look, there's always lots of these little things lying around on my desk. Um, you can see they're almost empty. So it just shows you how, how much I use them. Um, I, I write down my ideas and I try and be as thorough in those notes as possible because I find if I just write a sentence or a few words, I'll look at it a week later and I'm like, what the bloody hell does that mean? Do you ever do that when you make a note and you're like, what does that mean? Yeah, yeah. There's no context to it. You don't remember why you wrote it down. Exactly. Yep. So I try and get as descriptive as I can on it. And then what I do is I I snap a photo with that, Mm -hmm. with my iPhone, and I use an app called uh, CamBox, C-A-M-B-O-X, and I snap it, and then that automatically gets uploaded to my ideas folder into Dropbox. Nice. And so, um, and then it's there. 
and I don't have to worry about it. And it is what it is. And then I can go into there every now and then when I have a little bit of downtime, when I want to look back at things. And that's when I sort of rediscover what I wrote three, four months ago and stuff like that. And I mean, we just, you know, we just recently launched Youpreneur. And, um, you know, Youpreneur is an idea that I had three years ago. Right. Literally. And, and that was written, I never forget, that was written on the back of a bar like a beer mat in London when I was having a beer with my brother and I was like, Oh yeah, blah, 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 blah. And it wasn't called Youpreneur or anything. I just, you know, focus, focus on membership community for people building business of you. And that was what I said. Right. And that actually spurred on my, my most requested, most booked keynote as a speaker, which is called the business of you. That's my 45 minute keynote. I did it like 20 times in 2015 all around the world. And that kind of then went on to becoming youpreneur.com and that's the you know the the mastermind community now and everything so it just goes to show you man write down all your crazy ideas no matter where you are and uh take a quick snapshot of it stick it on your phone yeah and that app you described cambox sounds fantastic to just capture them yes. quickly and you know you upload pay them to... it. i think it's like two bucks or something but it's worth it. it it's nice and easy you don't have to worry about physically uploading it yourself it does it directly after you take the shot Okay, so let's move into the action section. So what actions can a listener take to get started quickly with increasing their productivity and increasing their profitability without putting too much effort? Let me see how carefully I've been listening to what you've been saying and let me see if I can come up with some actions myself. So one is hire intelligently, be very careful about your selection process and be aggressive with the choices you make before you hire the person rather than trying to deal with tough issues after the fact. The second yeah. thing is build a strong culture, and that flows on from hiring a good person. Build a strong collaborative culture in your organization. Your organization is a reflection of who you are, and be a collaborative CEO. Delegate responsibly, but delegate generously. Look at systematizing things wherever possible. So canned responses and emails. If any task is being repeated, just put a procedure together, hand it over to somebody else. What else? You're doing good. I was about to say, you're doing good. <laughs> you've been a good little boy. You've been a good student this morning. I like that. <laughs> hey, you're doing good. No, you, I mean, you're hitting the nail bang on the head, man. I mean, like, you know, productivity as a whole is not, it, it, I think people overthink productivity they we do we overthink it you know just keep things simple don't you know don't have a 10-step process when a three-step process will do the job um and that you know and that enables you to get those processes down on paper uh or up into the cloud or whatever way you're doing it and 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 then you know start starting to you know hand off to other people a lot faster than you if you were to try and you know make this huge, great, big, long list of stuff to do, right? Um, and that, you know, that right there is productivity in motion. It's just understanding that finishing something imperfectly is way better than never finishing something perfectly. Right. Right. right? Just take imperfect action. There's nothing wrong with taking imperfect action because once it's in the flow and you can see how it's working, you'll see what needs to be tweaked and what doesn't need to be tweaked. And uh, you'll end up getting to that perfect destination much faster. As our friend James Schramko says, you can't steer a parked car. Impossible. Yeah. That's another great point. Actually, I didn't mention in the actions that is take imperfect action and focus on one thing at a time. Context switching is your enemy. Yep. Absolutely. Okay, what books have had the biggest impact on you and why would you recommend them? Well, one book that I always recommend is Crush It 
by Gary Vaynerchuk. Uh-huh. Uh, it was Gary's first book. I think it was probably late 2009 it came out, uh-huh. maybe early 2010. I read it over, I think it was, I, I think I picked it up in January 2010. Um, I know it was very early on in my blogging and my kind of online journey. I know that for sure. Um, and I remember sitting down and reading it in one sitting within a couple of hours. It was that good. I couldn't put it down. And it focuses on basically personal branding online. So everything, you know, from, you know, uh, creating YouTube videos to uh, blogging to social media, the whole kit and caboodle. For me, Crush It was the catalyst uh, to begin my online business building career. Uh, it truly was. And I've met Gary. I know Gary now. We've spent time together. Um, and he, you know, he lives and breathes the philosophy with inside of Crush It. He is his brand. He is his business. And I like to think that I'm my brand and my business now. Uh, and when I talk about the business of you, that's what I'm the most passionate, uh, you know, focusing in on now is helping other business owners think like that as well. And you don't need to be an egocentric business owner like a speaker or an author or a coach. You know, you can just be a pet store owner or you can be a, you know, a services-based company online or a software company or whatever. It doesn't matter. But people want to do business with other people, Mm. right? Brands will always prefer to do business with other brands. It's just big business. It is what it is. But people nowadays want to do business with other people. And that's the P2P philosophy that I talk about all the time. And um, I'm a big believer that, you know, if you create those kind of relationships as an online business owner, you'll get to uh, experience success way faster and much, much sooner than you would if you were to try and have that kind of big brand mentality of working with people. And so Crush It was the first one that really made a a major impact on me. Um, The other one that that has really, I think, just helped me a lot in terms of entrepreneurship was um, losing my virginity. Uh-huh. by Richard Branson, the Richard Branson biography. Um, I remember picking up the book. It is like this. Yeah. It is so thick. Yeah. <laughs> it's around there somewhere. I I've got a lot of books. <laughs> I'm not going to be able to find it right now. Oh, hang on. Here we go. Boom. So I just, I literally just repurchased it. It's, right. it's brand new. Look, it's, it wow. hasn't even been read, this one, because the other one was so torn and tattered. Yeah. Um, and I think they upgrade. I think they updated this at some point. I'm not 100 percent sure, but look at the. I mean, look at the size of the thing compared to my head. Look, look how thick that. <laughs> it's ridiculous. We're at 600 pages. 600 pages. So, um, wow. and there's you know so many great stories of entrepreneurship and and struggles and remortgaging his home and Virgin Records and you know just. It's just a freaking amazing entrepreneurial story, Richard Branson. And I think if you, you know, you look to somebody like that who's got that much success and you talk about culture, I mean, wow, what an amazing culture of Virgin. Um, Branson came out with a quote. I don't think it was in this book. It was after he wrote this book. He came out with a quote in regards to his people and his team. And I'm going to, I might paraphrase a little bit here, but it was something along the lines of train people so well that they could leave you for another job at any time, but treat them so well that they never want to. Beautifully put. Yep. It's Richard Branson. That's what he does. He's got a sir at the beginning of his name. He puts things beautifully. And so, uh, you know, I, 
yeah, those two books really for me have made the biggest impact on me, I think, which is, you know, strange because I've, I've probably got about 400 books in here. Yeah. Um, but uh, those are the two that, that I always recommend people pick up and read. And there's a whole, there's a whole boatload of them. You know, four hour work week is a standard, I think, for most modern day entrepreneurs today. Um, I don't think, uh, I don't agree rather with all, you know, with every concept that Tim brings up in the book. Um, but I, I think that that book in, on its own generated quite frankly, it created a generation of entrepreneurs that probably wouldn't have thought about entrepreneurship until they read that book. Absolutely. So, you know, there's, there's always something to gleam. I think, you know, a lot of people say, oh, you know, I can't be bothered to read the book or oh, it's $16, you know, might not be worth it. I'm like, dude, it's 16 bucks. <laughs> if you get one thing out of this that can hopefully get your business from here to here, just one thing, one takeaway, isn't sixteen dollars and a few hours of your time worth the investment? You tight ass. You know, like you know, it's sixteen bucks. You know what I mean? Like this, this book right here took me a year of my life, a year of my life right. to write and to get to market. Right? And somebody on Facebook the other day said, "Why should I spend?" I could not believe this. Uh, he said to me, "He said, why should I pay money to learn about what you offer?" And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to take you to school. You come at me like that. So I wrote this long-ass reply, basically slapping them into place. And my community got behind me yeah. as well. And the guy basically just unfriended me and left. <laughs> so I was just like, you know, seriously? I mean, man, man, oh, man, oh, man. It, you got to invest in yourself. And reading, is, reading and listening and watching podcasts is the best way to do it nowadays. Well, clearly, you feel very strongly about Richard Branson. We talked about it when we talked at uh, Superfast Business Live as well. So, Richard Branson, if you're listening, you've got to get on Chris Ducker's podcast. You yes. have to be a guest on his podcast. Yes. And it would be nice yes. if it came on mine too. Probably. Actually, one of my um, – <laughs> yes, it would be. Uh, one of my all-time kind of bucket list goals is to have dinner with Branson on NECA. Oh, yeah. That's one of my – one of my goals is right up there. So if there's anybody watching or listening in who can get me onto NECA without having to drop a $100,000 donation somewhere. Now, I don't mind donating a little. I donate every year, but a hundred grand to get I've, I've heard stories of people literally donating that kind of money to get onto NECA and have, have a little bit of FaceTime with the man, um, which I get, you know. But uh, yeah, if anybody's gotten in to NECA, hit me up on Twitter or something. All right. Sounds like a plan. Speaking of Twitter, how do people find out more about you and how do they get in contact with you if they would like to do that? Well, Twitter is my number one social media platform. Uh, I don't spend a lot of time anywhere else, including Facebook, regardless of what that idiot you know wrote on the on the wall a few a few days ago. Um, I uh, yeah, Twitter for me is easily the quickest, easiest way for me to manage questions and inquiries and comments and things like that. So at Chris Ducker on Twitter, or uh, people tuning in, just go to chrisducker.com. Simple as that. That's my online hub. Everything I do is at chrisducker.com. Or hashtag Duggerscope and Periscope. You could do that as well if you want to watch me on Periscope. Absolutely. All right. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure having you, Chris. You've been the showman that I imagined you would be. So great <laughs> to have you, man. It was all my pleasure, man. Thank you very much for having me on. So there you have it. I hope you enjoyed that podcast with Chris Ducker. 
Don't forget to check out the related episodes that I've mentioned in the podcast. That's episode number one with Neil Patel and episode number 18 with Buck Rizvi. Head over to ProductiveInsights.com forward slash hire to book a consulting session with me. That's ProductiveInsights.com forward slash H-I-R-E. Thanks for listening to the Productive Insights Podcast. You can find all the links in the show notes below this episode on ProductiveInsights.com. You can also ask questions in the comment section that Ash personally answers. How can Ash help you today?